Hello and welcome to the Village Church Podcast. My name is John and we are glad to have you join us. We work to deliver our most recent preaching content to you as soon as possible, so let's get into God's Word together. Exodus chapter 4. If you have a Bible with you, Exodus chapter 4. The Lord God of heaven and earth, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, God of his word, the Bible, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Emmanuel, is a God who delivers, redeems, and dwells with his people. The book of Exodus is the second of five books authored by Moses telling the history of God's people, how God made a people for himself who were not a people but are now his people, First Peter would say. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people because God has made you his, First Peter 2.10. As God's people, if you are here today with faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, if your eternal hope rests on the completed work of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are counted among God's people and this is your history. Moses is at the burning bush. We've been here for several weeks now, and I think that we will be done with that today. He has been at the burning bush, speaking with God out of the midst of the flame. Moses hasn't said much. In fact, he's only said two things. Who am I that I should go, and what is your name? Moses is going to say more As he continues standing, remember, on holy ground, God said, take your sandals off for the place on which you are standing is holy. As he is standing on holy ground still, perhaps he is starting to get more comfortable in his flesh before God, speaking from this bush that burns but is not consumed. And as he is standing on holy ground, he also, through chapter 4, simultaneously begins to tread on very dangerous ground. I want you to make note of this verse. It's on the screen for you note takers to jot down. Remember Proverbs chapter 19, the 21st verse says, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the Lord's, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Exodus chapter 4, 1 through 17, and the end of the chapter, 27 through 31, we'll visit the middle portion of this chapter next week. Would you read with me? Exodus chapter 1. Then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you 
God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. Down to verse 27. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses And Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. Would you pray with me? God, we come before you thankful for your word, Father. And in this time, we are desiring as we worship you this morning to learn from you. Father, we are not capable of understanding your word without the help of your spirit. So please, God, would you help us, everyone, from youngest to oldest in this room, by the power of your spirit, to understand your word. Father, to learn and to apply what you say in your word, that we may be better witnesses of you, that we may glorify you in a greater way, that we may know you in a deeper relationship. Father, I pray that as your word is worked through this morning, that you would humble sinners to repentance. I pray, God, that you would promote holiness among your people, and I pray that the Savior, Jesus Christ, would be exalted. It's in his name we pray. Amen. I titled this sermon not from the text as I normally do, but with this title, God Over Our Excuses. We are excuse makers. Somebody once said that the human heart is an idol factory. I think that one of the idols that that factory produces is excuse-making. And no one ever thought of your excuses as an idol. But when you begin making excuses, you begin saying, I'm not sure that I trust because of this reason. And out comes the excuse. We all make excuses. Every one of us, myself included, we all do it. But God remains God, and I stole an ancient line, I don't know how old, but it's not language that we use anymore. God remains God over and against our excuses. This is not like, we would just say, he's God over our excuses. He is over them, and he is against them. I liked that wording. God 
remains God over and against our excuses. Moses says, look in verse 1, Behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Excuse number one, but perhaps it comes with a reason. Before we start thinking, come on, Moses, it was just a few short verses ago that God said, and they will listen to your voice. Before we start thinking, he just said they'll listen. Moses, what's wrong with you? Let's consider how often God says something to us, and we turn right around and make excuses like Moses does. We don't know exactly why Moses believes the people won't listen. But when he says, behold, he's not saying, I'm not sure they'll listen. He's making a statement to God. Behold, they will not listen. Moses is convinced in his person that the people of Israel he goes to will not listen to him. And we don't know exactly why he thinks that, but remember, he appeared to have a reason for not thinking he should be the one that goes to Pharaoh. You remember? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? We examined that. Perhaps there's a reason behind that. Perhaps the reason was that he was afraid because he was a murderer and Pharaoh wanted him dead. And so that question may have been, who am I? I'm so humble. Or it may have been, who am I? That guy wants me dead and you're telling me to go to him. His excuse appeared to come with a reason. The reason here may be, let's consider, the prior rejection of the people of Israel. Do you remember what happened when he killed the Egyptian? He saw the Egyptians struggling, the Egyptian and the Israelites struggling, and he struck the Egyptian. And then what? It says he went out the next day and saw two Israelites struggling, and he said, brothers. And one of them said what? What did he say? Who made you prince and judge over us? That is the rejection of Moses as a leader, as a redeemer. He tried on his own. Remember, we examined this in Exodus chapter 2. Moses went without God to try and deliver the people of Israel. In that moment, he was not operating at God's direction. He was operating in the flesh and the people of Israel in that moment. In fact, uh, Hebrews or Acts chapter 7 says, rejected, uses the word. The Bible tells us they rejected Moses. So here he says, they will not listen to me. And perhaps the reason that he is saying that is because they'd already rejected him. They're not going to listen to me because they've already said no to me. Whatever the reason may have been, God has spoken to Moses. And I think our simple deduction as we read the narrative is clear. This is not a time for Moses to be analyzing or coming up with reason to not do what God has said. God has given instruction, and Moses simply needs to obey the instruction that God has given him. Notice, however, that as the narrative would go on, Moses doesn't record for us that God rebukes him in this moment, right? Think about it. In our flesh, do this. When parents in the room, when you tell your children to do something, those who have ever been parents, and you tell your children to do something, and they start coming up with excuses, how you feel about that? Not good. And what normally happens? If you're me, you probably start to twitch and lose control. I don't. Just do it. Don't make excuses, right? What happens? You start making excuses. What happens? You're prolonging what you're inevitably going to do, aren't you? Children in the room, 
adults are really wise to listen to that. Moses is making excuses, and what is he doing? He begins prolonging. His excuses are going to prolong, but notice that God does not do what we would do in our flesh in this moment. Moses does not record God as rebuking him and saying, Moses, I have spoken, go. He doesn't do that. What does he do? God knows that Moses will need help. We talked last week about God being omniscient. God knows all things. God knows the frailty and the brokenness that is Moses. God knows the help that Moses is going to need when he returns to Egypt to the people of Israel. And so instead of rebuking him, God responds to Moses' maybe reasonable statement of they won't listen to me with help. Moses' statement may be reasonable, it's unnecessary, but God simply begins providing what Moses will need to go do what God has said. Look what God says. What's that in your hand? A staff. And this is a comedic little spot. I'm not sure how many paid attention to it now or how many have ever caught it before. Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses ran away. I, I did, I've never seen it before until a few weeks ago. I read it and I laughed. Like he's before this bush is burning and God is talking to him out of the midst of this bush that burns and is not consumed. Moses is talking to a fire and the fire is talking to him. What is that in your hand? It's a staff. Throw it down. I, almost, I have a long staff that I almost brought today for the visual effect. He throws it down. It becomes a serpent and the dude runs away. He's talking to a burning bush, and the snake makes him run away. What's in your hand? A staff. Throw it down. He does. He picks it up. It becomes a staff again. Put your hand in your cloak. He pulls it out, and it's white like snow with leprosy. Put it back, and he pulls it out, and it's, it's complete. And what's interesting, after these two signs, God says, if they will not believe the first, perhaps they'll believe the second. And so now we're all thinking about last week and like, I thought God knew all things. If God knows all things, why is he saying if they will not believe the first, maybe they will believe the second. But notice the language that Moses tells us God uses to him after the first two signs. If they will not believe even these two or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile, pour it on the ground, and the water you have poured out from the Nile will become blood on the ground, and he stops talking. God says that, and he's done. They might not believe the first one. They might not believe the second one. They're going to believe the third one. And it's very interesting as God says and provides nothing more after this because nothing more will be required. Look at what happens down in verse 29. Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all of the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. The signs. Not option one, not option two, option one, two, and finality in the third. Why? Because God knew the people of Israel were going to require one, two, third sign. And the people believed when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads in worship. God has simply provided for Moses here Precisely what he knows Moses will need, which is precisely what he knows the people of Israel will need to know that he showed himself to Moses and sent Moses because he has come to deliver the people. 
God has called Moses to action. He has equipped him for what he needs at hand. But, instead of just obeying, verse 10, Oh my Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. Excuse number two. It's not like excuse number one, but Moses, how many of them things you got in there, pal? Right? How many excuses do you have? When you look at God's word and what God's word tells you to do, we're excuse makers. And we're really good at coming up with excuses for not doing precisely what God tells us to do. And how much joy are we forfeiting? How much of the blessing of God are we missing out on because we are not doing what God says to do, but we are coming up with excuses. Here, Moses, excuse number two, Lord, I'm not eloquent, neither in the past or now. I'm slow of speech, slow of tongue. Well, now we have to try and reconcile something, don't we? Because what does Acts say? If you're note takers and you're scrolling back or if you look over and ingrain the messages from week to week, we've learned something from the biblical commentary of the Bible on the Bible. Acts chapter 7 verse 22 says that Moses, skilled in all of the wisdom of the Egyptians, was mighty in his word and his deed. How is Moses mighty in his word, and now he's here saying, I'm not eloquent. How do we reconcile that? Well, uh, we have to, this is why, in original languages help. So uh, myself being such a non-student of original languages, drawing on those who have carefully examined the original language leads us to understand what Moses is saying here. When Moses says, I'm not eloquent, I'm slow of speech and of tongue, he's saying, I'm not dumb. I know how to speak. I know how to get jobs done. I know how to command people. But going back there into the courts of Pharaoh in Egypt is going to require a quick, sharp, thinking person. And God, I'm not that. You'd be better off to send the the quick-witted, sharp-tongued person as opposed to me. It takes me a long time to put my thoughts together And to get them out. And listen, Pharaoh's courts are a shark tank. If you can't speak quick and you can't jab back with your words, they're not going to listen to me at all, Pharaoh. I'm not eloquent. I'm slow of tongue. I think verse 14 helps to make this even clearer. When God says to Moses, of Aaron, I know that he can speak well. How many of us have always been taught the Moses had a speech impediment theory? This is where I've been a long time in my life, but when we start to dig back into the scriptures and really start to look, we have a problem with reconciling Moses being mighty in deed and not eloquent in speech. This is not, I stutter. This is not, I I can't, I'm not smart, God. That's not what this is. This is, I'm not equipped to go into the courts of Pharaoh and do what you're saying I need to do. You need to send someone else. You need someone who's sharp in tongue. God says, I will send send Aaron. He speaks well. Is there not Aaron, your brother? In verse 11 and 12, it's interesting though. Look what happens. God doesn't go to Aaron immediately. That happens down, which I just simply think qualifies Moses is not the one who should be speaking, and Moses believes that, but God is telling him that he should. You're the one, Moses. I'm telling you to go and do it. 
Look what God does to him. Lord, I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. And God turns that back to a question. Who made that mouth, Moses? Who makes a man speak or a man deaf? Who makes a man to see or a man blind? Moses, I'm sending you. And if I'm sending you, I'll do what needs to be done through you. Now we see God's sovereignty in bringing Aaron along. And we see later how God is sending Aaron before Moses has even said, I don't speak quickly. Moses, I've made your mouth. I make you speak. If I want you to speak clear words, you will. Uh, People sometimes are like, wow, pastor, you talk really good in front of people. Do you know why? Because God makes men speak. I've never taken a speech class in my life. I never took a debate class in my life. I have no idea how I come up here and have words. If you've ever had private conversations with me, you know this. I love talking. I have no training in it whatsoever. When God calls someone to do something, he equips them with what they need to do what he has called them to. Who makes the mouth? Who makes man mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? And this is like end of discussion, but not. Now therefore go. And as he said back in chapter 3, verse 12, remember? Chapter 3, verse 12 Moses, who am I that I should go? God, I will be with you. Now, I'm not eloquent in speech, but I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. Moses really needs to obey, but he's just not. This is an opportunity here, and we should feel, we are right to feel, between verse 12 and verse 13, we are right to feel a tension that is building. Like I'm, I don't know, I'm a, I like to visualize things, even though I can't really, because it's the bush burns and it's not consumed, but like, when God says to him, now therefore go, how much silence existed between what God said and Moses' words in verse 13? Because Moses isn't done, and he's going to really reveal something the next time he opens his mouth. But this is a tense moment for him. He really needs to obey. This is like, for Moses, this is comparable to Jonah walking down the road to Tarshish to get on some ships instead of doing what God said. This is like Peter between the second and the third rooster crowing, where he can just say, yes, I know Jesus, and I'll die with him. But he doesn't, and neither does Jonah. should feel that tension in the call of God on our lives to do something in our non-obedience, our disobedience. Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. Silence, for how long we don't know. Lord, send someone else. Moses' excuse-making has left the realm of reasonable question and has stepped headlong into I don't want to do what you're telling me to do, God. This is treading on defiance at this point. 
If you have a New American Standard Bible that you're reading from this morning, it says, send whomever you will. And commentary writers agree unanimously that the implication in those words is, just not me. Send anybody, but not me. I wonder if you've felt that in your own life. Man, that person needs to know Jesus, and I pray, Lord, that you would send someone to him, but don't send me. Those people need to hear about you and send someone, but don't send me. This is the, the age-old, if you've been in church a long time, cliche of the person saying, God, I'll go anywhere for you, just not to this place and wherever it is. Are you tracking the excuses and the responses? How God has entertained Moses' questions and thoughts to this point? Here's a brief summary. Who am I, Moses? Who am I, God? I'll be with you. They won't listen. God, I already told you they would. I don't talk good. I make your mouth work. This is the exchange that's happening between Moses and God. Who am I? Who are you? He tries to use the name of God as a reason to not do what God wants him to do. Who am I? Moses, you're Moses and I'll be with you. Who are you? I'm Jehovah. They won't listen. I told you they will. I don't talk good. I made your mouth. And now we come to the heart of it. Now a line has been crossed. Now something else has happened when Moses says, send someone else. I don't want to do it. We come to the heart of the matter. Why do these questions come out? Moses is unwilling to do. He does not want to do what God has told him to do. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago, we dwelled for a little bit on the name of God in Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 and 15? Remember dwelling on it? Do you remember talking about those three words used to name God? There is God, simply meaning power. There is Lord, simply meaning master. And there is Jehovah, meaning the all-existing one, the existing God. And do you remember what God says to Moses in Exodus chapter 3, verse 15? The Lord, Jehovah, the God of your fathers, this is my name. Remember when I told you that every word in the Bible, every word on your page, every carefully translated work from one ancient language to our reading and our understanding is important and is significant? Do you remember when I told you about capital L, big L, small capital O-R-D? You remember when I talked about that? Look at verse 10. Oh my Lord, lowercase O-R-D. Down to verse 13. But he said to him, Oh my Lord, L O R D, lowercase, Master, not Jehovah, not my name, Moses. You're not talking to me anymore, Moses. You're just recognizing that I'm an authority, Moses, but you're not recognizing my name. And I just told you, my name is Jehovah. And you've now reduced me just to Master, which I am but you're not using my name anymore, Moses. It's as if Moses is telling us in his own writing, as this autobiographical narrative continues on, it's as if Moses is telling us right here, I was not reverencing God as God. I did not want to do what he was saying. 
and we should feel it. We should contemplate what is happening here with Moses. But God is God over and against our excuses. And verse 14 says, Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. I wish Moses had told us how he knew that. He's in a bush that burns and it's not consumed. Was it like, hmm, I love fires. And everybody said amen. Was it like you got a fire going and it's nice and everything, but then you throw the old Christmas tree into it type of moment? But the thing didn't consume? Did, was, it, was it all of a sudden there's a burning bush and Moses is talking to this fire and then all of a sudden, like, did the flame intensify? I wondered, was it like those moments when you're sitting at the campfire and all of a sudden you're like, wow, my leg's a little hot. I, I'm going to back up a little bit. That just, this flared up just a little bit. Did he get singed? Did he lose some eyebrows or knuckle hair? Like, what, what happened? We don't know. Like, did God push him to the ground? Cute, Moses. But what? We don't know. The Bible doesn't say. Moses simply tells us. Ooh, I made God mad. And he knows it. The anger of the Lord was kindled. Words are important. The anger of the Lord, not the wrath of God. Words are important. The anger of the Lord. John L. McKay, in his commentary on Exodus, gave these words. I liked them, so I give them to you. Quote, We must not imagine divine anger as identical to ours. Because human emotions are contaminated by sin. On the contrary, we must avoid reinterpreting divine anger so that it is no longer anger at all. The Lord's anger is never unreasonable. Nor does it get out of control, as we will see later in Exodus. It shows the reality of the Lord's personal involvement with the world and of his interaction with people. God is angry. But do you notice what God hasn't said? Okay, Moses, I'll move along to plan B. Moses, I want you to go, but since you're unwilling, I'll just pick somebody else. That's not happening. I think it's really important for us to notice this too. God is angry, but Moses is still going. God has purposed from all of eternity past to use Moses in the deliverance of his people from the bondage that they're in in Egypt. This is the divine doctrine of immutability at work. God is immutable. Last week, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresence, the other omni just for the sake of it. This week, immutable. Immutability. It means God does not change. God is unchanging. We see this in several references. They're on the board for you quickly. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a son of man that he should change his mind. Psalm 33, 11. The counsel of the Lord stands forever plan of his heart to all generations. God says to the children of Jacob in Malachi 3.6, I am the Lord, I do not change, therefore you are not consumed. Hebrews 13.8 says that Jesus, the eternal Son of God, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God does not change. He is unchanging. It's an open thought that God may change his mind. We can't draw that biblically. Pastor, did you read ahead? Because it sure looks like he changes his mind. It sure looks like God is going to call an audible here with Aaron and move to plan B. Except that 
Moses tells us God sent Aaron while Moses was still on the mountain because he says, go, he will meet, go and meet him at the mountain of God. Go into the wilderness to meet Moses down in 27. So he went and met him at the mountain of God. You're like, is this the same moment in time? Are you sure? Has the burning bush even been extinguished? And God says, Moses says in chapter 3, verse 1, I took the sheep, the flock of my father Jethro, my father-in-law, to the mountain of God. God says to Moses in verse 12, you shall serve God on this mountain. And then he says to Aaron, go to meet Moses in the wilderness. So he went and met him at the mountain of God. When God says to Moses in verse 14, behold, he is coming out to meet you, God is supplying in his omnipotence, omniscience, immutable attributes of who he is, he's supplying everything that Moses needs in accordance with his perfect will throughout time. Moses, I know you don't speak well. I know you don't talk good. I know you're going to need help from me. And I'm sending Aaron to you, but instead of you experiencing the blessing of my hand on you for obedience, now you're going to share that with your brother. And Moses misses out on a full blessing of God, and now he will share with Aaron the blessing of God in going to the people. God does not change. God's not caught unaware by Moses. If we start to say that he is, this is, we're changing the nature of God biblically. God is not up in heaven. He's not in the burning bush. Let's bring it right down into the narrative. He's not in the burning bush telling Moses to go and have Moses say to him, send someone else. He didn't in that moment say, oh man, I wasn't ready for Moses to not go. What should I do? Let me think for a minute, Moses. No. Here comes Aaron, Moses. Your brother's coming to meet you, and he's going to be glad when he sees you. I already sent him. I knew what you needed before you knew what you were going to need. Before I sent you, I knew what you would need. To say that God changes is to avoid looking into the depths of who God is in the Bible. He does not change. I think the words to the children of Jacob in Malachi 3.6 are the most fitting in this exact moment. He says to them, I, the Lord, do not change, therefore you, O Jacob, are not consumed. What does God do to disobedience? It gets judgment. Those who disobey God are going to receive judgment. Moses doesn't receive that because Moses has been selected by God for this task and he is going to do what God wants him to do. Aaron's coming. I know you need him. God knows our needs. Every need that you have before you know you're going to need it, God knows what you need. We just sang it a couple Sundays ago. Everybody loves that song, Good, Good Father. Do you pay attention to the words that you sing, church? Because you know every need before we say a word, you're a good, good father. God is looking down through eternity. He is providing, according to his will, every single thing that we need before we even know that we need it. That is the power of God. I think that Moses narrowly escapes here simply because God does not change. If God changes, then next plan. Fine, Moses. Out. I'll use Aaron. You're out. Well, God, I didn't mean I wouldn't do it. No, no, no. It's okay. It's okay. I've changed my mind. You're not going anymore. He doesn't do that. He sticks with Moses. The anger of the Lord is kindled against him. 
Instead of trusting and experiencing God's hand of blessing, providing what he needs as he goes and obeys, send someone else. And now Moses will share, as God provides Aaron, I know you need help. Aaron's coming to help you. God provides Aaron for Moses to help him. And we see these final instructions in 15. You shall speak to him, put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people. He shall be your mouth and you shall be as God to him, right? This is God telling him, these are the roles that are going to happen here. What's happening is, I'm God talking to you, Moses. And you, Moses, are going to talk to Aaron And Aaron is going to talk and be the spokesman for this whole operation. You're going to be like me to him, and he's going to be like you to the people. You understand the the roles that are being established here by God? And take that staff. It's interesting that one whole verse, as we noted verse markings several hundred years ago, they devoted a whole verse to that. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. One commentary noted that that staff was a a sign, a symbol of the authority and the power, the assistance of God in what man was doing, that God is there represented in that staff. Now, all that God has instructed Moses to do, all of his instructions from the start in chapter 3 to this point in chapter 4, All of God's instructions are still in play. Nothing's changed. Everything that God has instructed Moses to do is still going to happen. Despite Moses' unwillingness, nothing of God's God's plan is changed or altered. God is redeeming and delivering and dwelling with his people just as he has purposed to do. And I wonder, did the fire just go out? Just like it burned and wasn't consumed. Did it have to die down or just gone? Man, we all got playback reels when we get to heaven, and this is one that I want to look at. What happened to that fire? Now, Moses is going to do what God has determined for him to do. He has brought him to a place of choosing now. I will do now what you have said, God. How do we apply these things to our lives as we work through chapter 4? We're going to deal with the middle section, 18 through 28, or 26 next week. How do we apply from today? One, God's commands are to be obeyed. Simple, right? Such a simple statement. God's commands are to be obeyed. And everybody said, we know, Pastor, that's why we're at church, right? I know we say that, but are we doing it? God's commands are to be obeyed, not analyzed, for imperfection or for objection. You're not going to find imperfection in God's plan. That doesn't happen. Psalm chapter 19, verse 7 says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. You will not find imperfection in God's command. Do you ever look at God's plan for imperfection? Are you like, are you sifting the pages of Scripture to find a problem with God's plan? Honest question. One that we should probably think about. Am I, man, am, I, am I looking for the mistake instead of just obeying? It's a waste of time. Do you ever raise an objection to what he says? I object, your lordship. 
that plan of yours, I, mm, I don't know if that's a good one. Do you ever do that? Man, I know I'm guilty of it. Reason, no matter how valid, is never reason enough to disobey God. No matter what reason you come up with, no matter how valid it may be, you cannot reason your way into disobedience. Reason, no matter how valid, is never reason enough to disobey God. Disobedience is sin. At its core, disobedience shows a lack of trust. Disobedience shows, I think I know better. Disobedience shows idolatry. The Bible says that God's wrath is coming because of disobedience in Ephesians and Colossians. And only because God is unchanging and has numbered our days do we survive our disobedience. Do you understand the depth and the gravity of God saying, because I do not change, you are not consumed? It's dangerous for us to believe that God is waiting for us to act so that he can react to our actions. That's not the God of the Bible. He is unchanging to his core. It is an attribute of his nature. May we seek, I pray, may we seek to grow in our obedience to God and his word this week. Not just an ambiguous, let's grow. I want you to take the narrative that Moses gives us, I want you to look at his excuse making and I want you to plead with God, help me, Father, to obey instead of looking for imperfection, instead of looking for reason not to, God, strengthen me that I may obey what you say. We all need help in obeying God's word. Second point of application, the Christian's confidence must be anchored in God's providence and ability and not our own or our lack thereof. This was long, so I'll give it to you again. The Christian's confidence must be in God's providence and ability, not our own or lack thereof. This starts with our very salvation. Nothing of our own saves us. Are you still, in this moment, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, relying and depending on God for your salvation? Nothing, if nothing in and of yourself is going to redeem you. We need the work of God in our lives. Every ounce of our salvation from beginning to end is dependent on God, his providence, his ability. If you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, the words of Christ in the Gospels come to you saying, repent, repent and believe the Gospel. I'd love to talk with you. If you want to ask questions about that, there are others who would talk to you. Just as we talked back in Exodus chapter 3 about how the Christian's confidence in the face of fear must be God himself, so too the Christian's confidence in the face of inability must be God himself. Paul, the apostle, wrote ferociously. When I read his, I'm like, man, this guy, just like a laser. I think he was probably an insensitive, arrogant jerk. I think that's what he fought. Like I've made up my mind that Paul fought just being insensitive and built up I think that this guy, like if you need a sharp-tongued guy to go to Pharaoh's courts, you want the Apostle Paul going in there. That's what I, I've, this is where I'm at with, I think that's what he was, but that's just my thought. He writes ferociously in his, shall I come with you, shall I come to you with a whip? Like, who says that? Am I gonna, I'm going I'm to come to you, shall I come with you with a whip? He writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, and this is a paraphrase, I didn't come to you with lofty speech. I didn't come to you in eloquence. 
I came to you, Corinthians, in a demonstration of the power of the Spirit, that your faith might not rest in man, but that it might rest on God. Second Corinthians, he wrote them another letter. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, one of my favorite verses has been since I was a teenager. We have this treasure in jars of clay. We are nothing. God formed man out of the dust and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. And Job said, to dust I will return. We are jars of earth and dust. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says we have this treasure in jars of clay that we may show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We must trust that if God has called us to a task in his providence, he will equip us with what we need for the task. We're praying as a church, oh God, we want to meet and we don't know where. So are we trusting that God will provide in his time, in his will, and in his ability what we need or are we trying to usurp? I promise you that I'm not trying to usurp because I see what happens. I don't want to kindle the anger of God by preempting the Lord's plan. Father, provide in your time and according to your will. May we trust you. If God has called us to a task in his providence, he will equip us. One more point worth considering here. Moses is very worried about his inability. They won't listen to me. I don't talk good. Moses is worried about his inability. The other point that we need to consider is too much confidence in our ability. I'm afraid that Christians operate far too often under their own ability without relying on the Spirit of God. It's one thing to know that you are equipped to do something. I told you, I don't know how I stand up here and speak. I just know that I've always been a talker. I recognize that God equipped me in the gift of gab, and so therefore I can gab about his word all day long, and I love to. God has gifted me, equipped me with the ability to speak. We should never forget who has equipped us and for what purpose. My ability to talk is not so that I can joy in my ability to talk. It is to be used for God's glory. God's given ability to me to speak, and I must use that for his glory. It's one thing to know that you are equipped to do something, but don't forget who has equipped you. Paul said to the Philippian church in chapter 3, verses 4 and 7, put no confidence in the flesh. This is a strong call for us Christians. Put no confidence in the flesh. Paul says, I have reason to have confidence in the flesh. Perhaps you think that you do as well. But Paul says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Brothers and sisters, may we stop fearing or relying on our own ability. And may we trust the spirit within us. When we see Moses, a giant in our history, when we see Moses unwilling to do what God wants him to do, we should praise God and give glory to him. We should remember a servant's son who prayed, oh, Father, not my will, but yours be done. We should remember a servant who said in Hebrews chapter 10, I have come to do your will. We should remember a servant, the Lord Jesus Christ, who did not unwillingly do a thing.
Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. Father, recognizing that you are God. Recognizing, Father, that our ability is worthless without your help. You must be working in us. Father, I pray that your church throughout the world, I pray that you have, by the power of your spirit, the unction of your spirit, have spoken mightily through men opening the scripture and caring for your people. I pray, Father, that we as Christians may put away any confidence in the flesh. I pray that we would make no provision for the flesh, God, and that we would trust wholly in your providence, in your timing, in your ability for God. You are perfect, and you are unchanging. I pray, God, that we would put away our flesh as you've called us to die to the flesh. God, that we would live trusting and following your spirit in us. Ah, God, give us the grace. Give us the power that we need to not step without you. Father, may we not be unwilling to do your work as we see Moses unwilling. Father, may we be willing participants in your plan. May we experience the fullness of your blessing in this life, God. Father, you are unchanging, holy, righteous, and true. Help us in our living, our daily life, God, to rely on you and not ourselves. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week. If you have any questions about anything you just heard or if we can pray for you, please contact us at info at Until next time, stay in God's word.